Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. Hello, this is Casey Stubbs with the How to Trade It podcast. And today I'm very excited. I'm talking with Blake Morrow, the CEO of Forex Analytics. Hey, Blake, how are you doing today? Hey, Casey, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me and I'm doing great. Good. Uh, as we were chatting beforehand, we've got some things in common. I've been following you on Twitter forever. Uh, and, uh, we both have a military background. So, uh, we hit it off right away and it's really nice having you on the show. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I know I've, I've, I've followed you over the years and, and, and I think we've both probably been on Twitter at least a decade, if not more. And, uh, and so it's nice to, nicely, nice to finally sit down and, uh, get an opportunity to meet with you. Yeah. So with that being said, uh, give us a little, um, background on, you know, how you got into the markets. <laughs> well, okay. Where do I start? Um, yeah, it's, it's always a, it's a funny question because, um, you know, like a lot of us, I think when you look back, you're like, how did I get to where I'm at right now? And, um, it was funny. I was, uh, I was in college and, uh, after fresh out of the Marine Corps and it was, uh, the mid nineties, 95, 96. And, uh, I was going to college and one of my buddies got out of the Marine Corps and he was, uh, he became a stockbroker. And he, he mentioned, you know, Hey, you should be a stockbroker too. Cause he was making great money. I think I was working at a bar. I was a, I was a going to college, working at a bar, also working a third job or a, you know, second job, excuse me, like at doing like selling retail clothing or something like that. And, um, and, uh, when he, when he said you should be a stockbroker, I'm like, I don't know anything about the markets. And he's like, ah, it doesn't matter. You can, you can, you can, you can sell. That's all you need to do. You just need to learn how to sell. And I'm like, and he goes, you got, you have the gift of gab. So you should be able to do it. I'm like, okay. So, uh, I actually went in for the interview and ironically got the, uh, got the job and, uh, I went and got my series seven right after that and, uh, became a broker, uh, and was a, a broker for a, a, a firm out of Florida, um, uh, at that time in the, mid nineties. And then I, I realized I didn't like being a broker. I didn't like being on the phone, dialing 300 dials a day, telling people, you know, they should buy this stock or that stock because of some fund manager that we were following. We should be, uh, and we followed a lot of the bigger uh, names uh, at that time that were always on CNBC. We kind of matched their portfolios, but um, I eventually had a, I had a friend that was extremely wealthy and um, you know, that was at the time that, Block trading uh, was uh, featured in Forbes magazine back in '96, and um, uh, they were the you know the the So's bandits, if, if some of you probably recall. And um, I went to my very wealthy and uh, friend, and I said, "Hey, look, I, uh, between myself and a, and my buddy that was also a broker that got me into the business, he knows how to trade the markets because he learned from a." a, a a market maker out in uh, Las Vegas because they were doing an IPO and he spent time with them. And he's like, we can do this. Uh, we can trade too. And so we started uh, trading at block trading eventually in the end of 96. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it all started. I, I started trading at the Scottsdale, Arizona office at block trading 
became one of the largest uh, independent traders there. Then we opened a brokerage firm in Dallas, Texas in 99, end of 99. And then um, then it just all went, whoop, just all went and continued on from there. So, so when you uh, first got started, that was a really great time, sort of, because everything went up. I was in high school at that time. And, um, I didn't get started till a little, a little bit later, but I know that at that time was a big run up, right? And uh, it was, was very the, it bull was the dot, market. It was the, the dot com bubble. So yeah, that, that was really how I got my start because uh, I'll tell you, uh, this is, this is funny. You're going to appreciate this. So when I, when I started with my investor, uh, he gave us both, uh, my, my buddy and I 50 grand and, um, you know, we could trade it. And, and this is, uh, at the time I was, you know, I barely was making money as a stockbroker as it was because it takes a long time to build a book. It's like being a wealth manager now. Um, and I was living like off ramen noodles and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And uh, and uh, we took this $50,000 account. Well, he had one and I had one. We were both trading concurrently, you know. And uh, from 50 grand, I, I turned it into 20 um, within the first six months. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what did I get? At least it didn't go to zero. (laughs) No, no, well, no. And so, uh, you know, I I was sitting there like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I was panicking. And it was my first year of trading. And like I said, I I mean, I wasn't making any money trading. I wasn't making any money as a broker anymore. So now I'm living off my savings. And I was living off basically, you know, like I said, you know, very little. And um, yeah, eventually, you know, started trading that 20 grand and, you know, was making money back. And I, you know, I think it was around 30 or 40 grand, but I had a big position in a stock called GoToNet, G-N-E-T. And, um, and uh, you know, it was one of those dot-com, it was almost like being a crypto trader, you know, or a crypto investor. It, it went from like eight bucks to like, I don't know, 120 or something that day. And we had big positions in them. And that really kickstarted my career because that was, uh, it was almost like winning the lottery. Uh, I remember I was being bid up overnight. I forget why, why it was at the time. Um, but you know, cashed in a lot of it and then cashed in more, uh, a couple of days later at a lot higher prices. And, um, that really, uh, kickstarted my trading career because now when you have a big, you know, amount of cash to trade, uh, versus a little amount of cash. Not only did I make my investor money, but I made myself a lot of money at, at the same time because we split everything 50 50. Um, it allowed me the ability to really, really put on the full court press during a time when the markets were only going up and every dot com name you were trading was going higher and everything was fractionalized at that point. So fractions made scalping the market a lot easier. I could buy 2,000, 3,000 shares of Amazon spin in and out of it for like, uh, you know, 50 cents and, you know, make a quick 1500 bucks and, you know, do that a few times a day. And I was done and it was all momentum based and everything was going higher. So it was uh, very easy to buy breakouts, but as you know, markets don't stay the same and things change and, you know, uh, unfortunate events like September 11th, uh, happen and they happen to, uh, happen to all of us. Right. Yeah. Now, well, and then the dot-com bubble burst as well. And so that yep. was a big drop right before that. But I want to ask you about that GNET trade. Yeah. Um, how did that impact you? Yeah, you got money all of a sudden, but did that did that give you confidence or did it make you overconfident? Was it good? Did it hurt your trading or did it make you a better trader? Like, What was your response from that? Well, first of all, like I said, it was like, uh, it was like winning the lottery, um, uh, overnight. That's what it was really like. But, um, but really didn't, fortunately I was, I was old enough. I wasn't, 
I was in my late 20s or mid to late 20s. I was 26, 27 at that point. Um, it, it got me to a point where where I, I I knew what I was doing. So then I could just do what I was doing, which I was already starting to become proficient at in scalping, but at smaller in you know smaller size. Now I was doing it in bigger size, and I was fortunate. I was I was smart enough at that moment to realize how lucky I was, but I didn't realize that the because I was so fresh in the markets just for a few years. I didn't realize that, oh, the markets don't only go up. You know, <laughs> I thought they only went up and, and stocks only went higher. So, you know, when you tailor, when you, when you tailor your trading strategies around that type of market environment, kind of like what, you know, people were used to the last several years in equities, uh, here, um, you know, in the, in the, the 2019, 2020, 2021. Well, actually, I guess 2018, 2019, 2020 is very similar type of environment where you, it, you could really easily make money in the markets. But as you know, the markets don't stay the same. And when they changed, obviously my, my trading strategy at that time did not change with the markets. I didn't have the, the, the foresight or the experience to really understand that that what was, what was happening was happening until it was over. Uh, and when you say what was happening, are you talking about the change of market environment? Yeah, the the dot com bubble really bursting. I mean, we all knew it was going to eventually go down, and things were going to reverse. Which, it, ironically, I played the reversal pretty well in early two thousand uh, or uh, late two thousand. I played that pretty well, but you start buying dips a lot earlier, thinking that okay, you know, it's over now, and then I started buying way too early, and that was the, probably my downfall at that point in my my career. So. So uh, that got you started with a, a large amount of capital, but you still had a lot to learn. Um, yeah. uh, did it? Uh, do you think it impacted you with risk? Did you manage your risk well? Uh, did you have a really good risk management plan? Hello, this is Casey, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete Trading System. This is my 25 years of trading experience sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. No, actually, I did not, and that and that's the thing—the difference between today and like what investors and traders have uh, in the current environment. Because um, th remember, the internet at that point was really in its infancy. The amount of like websites you could go to, or you couldn't really listen to podcasts—it was very, very, very uh, slim. 
Right. So there were there were very few sites out there that actually gave you education, allowed you to understand through other people's experiences what people have gone through. So the the trading experiences I got and and I learned from and the people I learned from were traders that I sat next to that may have had a few more years of experience, but in all actuality, they they were about as you know as green as I was. So um, so my risk management, you know, especially early in my career, was not so well thought out as it is, you know, 20, you know, fast forward 25 years later, uh, my risk management principles are much different today than they were early in the business. So, um, you know, and, and, and understanding how to, or how to, you know, being in a position and under, and not understanding the lack of liquidity in some of the names that I was trading. I mean, that was like a really big, uh, error on my part because I was trading equities. I wasn't trading currencies at that time. So Okay. So when you say the lack of liquidity, does that mean you were having trouble exiting some of your positions and it caused you even greater losses? Correct. So, you, you know, I, I remember being long, uh, you know, a couple of different names and I can't name them right now, but you know, when you're long stocks, like you, let's say you've got uh, at, at this time, uh, you know, this would be like 99, 2000, uh, I would establish positions in some big comp or some companies, some names, but stocks that would only trade maybe like 40, 60, 80,000 shares a day. And when you own 10 or 15,000 shares, you can't just turn around and hit the bid because if you turn around and hit the bid, you're going to knock that stock down, you know, several percent just yourself. And not to mention when you have people that you're trading next to also having positions because everybody's in the same names, right? Because we're all talking about the same stories and, you know, same buyout rumors and and whatnot. So it, it, it so to go back to your original question, my risk management strategies were very, very limited at that point in my career because I just didn't understand. And you didn't even but, know about the liquidity problem. So you couldn't oh. even have calculated that in because you were just, you were in You don't think territory. about that kind of stuff. No, you're just, you're just, you're, you, you got your eye focused. You, you, you got your focus on the, on the end goal. Like, oh yeah, this company, this, this pharmaceutical company is going to be bought out by you know, a, a funny story. Well, it's not funny. It's funny. I can laugh about it now. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, there was one name and, and I can't remember the name for the life of me right now. Cause this was, you know, 99, 2000, you know, right around that time frame, And, uh, the, the, the Roche was going to buy them supposedly Roche, big European pharmaceutical giant. Um, so we bought a lot of stock between myself and a few other guys. And we had probably like 80 or 90,000 shares between like the three of us through, you know, but the stock barely even traded like, 40, 50,000 shares a day. So when you start getting in a panic mode and, you know, everybody's got to exit, but there's the, the exits just really small. And there's a bunch of you trying to get out and there's three of you get, that are sitting next to each other. Uh, it, yeah, it, it meant for a very, very um, big downside days for that stock is we're all trying to hit the bid um, in, in a very non-panic type of manner, but we're still hitting the bid. Ironically, that company ended up getting bought by Roche, like literally a year and a half after the fact, <laughs> but, but it didn't help us at right. that time. But it's, but it's the things you learn, you know, those are the experiences that really kind of get you to the place where you're at today. Like, where Yeah. Today. Yeah. And I would just say, probably just from listening to you, one of the things is it's, you were so focused on, you know, what you were trying to make rather than having a risk management plan. Right now, when you're trading, do you focus a lot on, okay, I'm going to make this much money? Is it is it all about making money or or do you focus on looking at risk first? 
You know, uh, that's a great question. I think it's it's probably the most important, probably the most important question you're going to ask me today, not knowing any other questions you're going to ask me. But I think that's going to be the most important because when I trade now, the first thing that I want to know is where's my risk? And this is, a, you know, managing a, a community of traders in the currency market, um, which, you know, I've managed to do for, for many years uh, and, and build a huge community of traders. I was, you know, talk to them on a daily basis and uh, multiple times a day because we do many broadcasts throughout the course of the day. I always try to keep it fresh in their their minds, uh, no matter how new they are to trading. Um, first thing you should be asking yourself when you get in is where's your where's your exit? Where's your exit and how much are you risking? So and 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 really make that dollars and cents. Like, you know, I'm buying the euro here at you know 97 cents, but I'm out if it drops below 96.50. Like if it drops below 96.50, I have to get out. And then what does that mean to you, to your account? Because the account that you trade may be completely different than the account that I trade. So it doesn't really matter what I'm doing, matters what you're doing. So if you're going to get out at 96.50 and you got, you know, you got 100,000 in currency, you're going to lose 500 bucks. Well, if you can lose 500 bucks and that makes sense to you and it's not going to impact you greatly and you can take that kind of risk, then great. Now you have to, then you look at your reward and say, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking to target 99 cents. Well, great. You know, I could make two grand and I'm going to risk 500. That's a good risk reward. But always you have to start backwards because most traders, especially in the beginning, most mm -hmm. most traders, they focus on how much money they, they make and they, they don't focus as much on how much money they're going to risk. And I always say, start with how much you're going to risk first, then look at your charts, look at the environment, look at the macro backdrop and see if if you can actually make you know, two times, three times, hopefully five times on your money if things work out in your favor. Because you know, Casey, as, 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 as well as I do, you may be targeting a certain level, but chances of you sticking around until we get to that level is not that great. And that's true for any trader. So if you can, if you have a risk of 500 bucks and you're looking to make two grand, chances are if you're up 500, 800 bucks, you're going to start peeling some of it off, taking some profits. So ultimately, you just want to make sure it has the ability to go further than your risk. Yeah, so. and uh, it's very difficult to stick around that long because the market is always uh, moving up and down and it has a tendency to shake you out of your position. Yeah, it does. And that's why, you know, when we're when when you're trading as a trader, you know, size matters. Um, you know, position sizes I trade today are different than how I traded just a few years ago uh, versus how I traded 20 years ago. Um, every, you, you, you have to look at the way that you trade, the time you can put into the markets, how, 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 much, how much focus you're going to spend on managing those positions. And that's really going to drive how big of a position you're taking because I can sit in a 100 pip uh, uh, drawdown against me if I know a currency pair over the next you know week or two, I, I feel is going to move four or 500 pips higher. I don't mind sitting in that type of drawdown, but I have to have the right position to be able to do so. You know, I'm not going to sit there and lose 10 grand on a, on a trade that I'm not paying close attention to. You know, I might only risk, you know, a thousand or maybe a couple thousand bucks. And that, that might be within my risk parameters, but that's my risk parameters are completely different from somebody sitting, listening to this podcast they may be saying, Hey, I'm not willing to risk a couple grand. I, I'm only willing to risk, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Or somebody might say, Hey, I'm willing to risk 10 grand in that trade because I'm looking to make 50. So we're all different. We all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different 
you know, account sizes that we're managing, uh, portfolios that we're managing and whatnot. So, yeah. And you've got to uh, really work on that. And that's one of the things I like about currency trading is that there is a lot of variety in, uh, you know, everybody can work out their own plan. Uh, what I want, one question I wanted to hit, hit you with, because you mentioned it earlier is that, uh, sometime in 2003, uh, after September 11th, the market took a pretty big hit and you, um, had a very difficult experience in your trading. Uh, would you tell us about that a little bit and what are some of the key lessons you learned from it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, first of all, um, <laughs> lessons I learned, this is, uh, it could be the, the entire podcast would be the lessons <laughs> I learned. Um, and you're but, still here though. That's the thing. <laughs> I am. I'm still alive and I'm still kicking it. I've, yeah. I've got a whole lot of, I've got, you know, uh, you know, so many experiences behind me, but this one was, uh, rather unique because it really wasn't my fault. Um, at that time, around uh, just before September 11th, uh, we, we'd, we'd opened our own brokerage firm in 99, and it was called uh, Centerpoint Securities out of Dallas. And we and we it was basically a, a, a prop firm. Uh, we had, I don't know, maybe a half a half a dozen big traders, and then we had maybe a half a dozen smaller traders behind us. And um, so having your own firm and me being a, a small partner of that firm, uh, you have to have a, you have to have you know, a, somebody with a securities license, but, and that's my, my, my series seven had already expired, but it didn't matter. Cause I was just managing my own money, but we had, we had your, you have a principal broker, which at that point in time, um, which is not a series seven, it was like a series. I don't think it's a series four, a series six, series four. I can't remember exactly what his license is, but somebody who reconciles our books at the end of the day, because when you buy, like we, by the end of the day, we'd trade so many thousands of shares that there's inevitably there was a lot of stuff that didn't match up. So he would reconcile our books at the end of the day and we'd have a house account that had, you know, a good chunk of money in it that he could take the other side of a trade. If he had to get out of, you know, a couple thousand of this, a couple thousand of that, whether it's Microsoft or Amazon or whatever you're trading. Well, he had the ability to establish positions in the market and he actually took positions on our behalf because he couldn't withdraw the money. He was just, he, he was just trying to make our firm money. He took positions on our behalf without us knowing um, just before September 11th, through the September 11th uh, attack on America. As you know, the markets were closed for a few days, but um, after when the markets reopened, we gapped down quite substantially. Well, the firm, as a result, we ended up taking a huge loss and we had a, a, a very large bill that the partners, me being one of them, had to come up with to uh, Penson Securities, which they, they're no longer around, but they were a big clearing firm out of Dallas. And that's who we did business with. Well, uh, based on the losses that I had already taken from September 11th and prior to that, the run up to that, because like I said, I was buying dips way too early. Uh, I also had to come up with a, a, a large amount of money, uh, myself and the other partners to Penson Securities to make that loss whole. And uh, that really devastated me because it wasn't my fault. And it was, it was, you know, obviously ultimately ended up being our responsibility, but it wasn't my fault that that happened. And, uh, or nor my other partners, because like I said, our, 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 the guy that, that managed our, our books, um, gosh, I can't remember his exact, what the, his, his role, his uh, title was at that point. It's been so many years. Anyway, 
he took those, he took those losses and we had to come up with the, with the, 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 the difference. And, um, that really devastated me psychologically. So not only was I, my trading, uh, in the toilet, you know, after the dot-com bust, but then, then that uh, happened. So really changed the way that I approached the market for the next few years really did. Are you tired of feeling lost in the world of trading and investing? Get informed and inspired with the Talking Trading Podcast. I'm Louise Bedford, and I'll help you navigate the markets like a pro. Tune in each week and subscribe now at talkingtrading.com.au or on your favorite podcast app, or check out the link in the show notes. Talking Trading, this is how traders excel. So what was the primary change? You said psychologically it changed you. What, what, what was the change? And then did you have a process of actually recovering from that? I, I did. And so the, the, uh, the interesting thing is before that all happened, you know, you had a, every day I had a, like what I was trying to make every day trading like at that time. And I'll just give you some, some roundabout numbers. You know, I was looking to make about three grand a day. That was like what I could do in the markets based on my account um, size at that time, I could, I could generate probably about on average three grand a day in profit every day, uh, without, without fail. But then the market started to turn. And, you know, obviously when your account value starts to drop significantly, then you being able to leverage up the money that you have to make three grand a day becomes harder and harder and harder. And then after that hit, um, my account value was substantially less now I had to reconcile in my own mind that I can't make three grand a day on the, on the account that I had, that I had to make my goals substantially less. Yeah. If you're trying to make $3,000 a day on a smaller account, that's a recipe for disaster. It is. And so, yeah. but I didn't get that at first. And so yeah. what I felt like was a, uh, it was kind of like a plane that lost an engine, uh, one of its two engines and I was spiraling lower. And, uh, my, my friend, uh, who got me in the business, he was with, he was one of the partners in Dallas at that time. He, uh, he was, he's wise beyond his years. And he still is to this day. He's, you know, we text probably every day, even though he's not really in the business anymore, uh, of trading. He hasn't been for the last 10 years because he took a company public and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, we still talk all the time. And, uh, but at that time he had to actually sit me down and, you know, reconstruct the way that I traded and my goals and my objectives. And really, then it really came down to my lifestyle. Like I had to sell my 911 Cabriolet. <laughs> I had to, I had to change where my, my fiance at that point in time, who's still my wife today, we had to change our lifestyle and the way that we lived and my goals became substantially less. And, and it's interesting. I learned at that point early in my career, I say early because that was uh, 20 years ago, uh, I learned early in my career that when you get get yourself in a hole, uh, the first thing you got to do is drop the shovel, stop digging, right? And the next thing- <laughs> You don't want next, that hole to get too big. That's good. No. You, so yeah. whenever you find yourself in a pickle and you, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm really in a bad drawdown stage, which most of us have been in at multiple points in our careers. And if you haven't experienced it, you will. And, and if you haven't, if you've only experienced it once, you're going to experience it more. Um, just that's part of what we do. 
in, in the markets. But what I try to do as an educator is try to explain to people, look, you know, if you can cut it off quicker, sooner rather than later, that's you're, the better off you're going to be. So whenever I found myself in a downward spiral, I just dropped the shovel. And then I realized that I can't make it all back in one trade. I have to chip it back. And so, and because it's all about building confidence. And that's what it was for me for the next really several years of my career. Because we uh, we had a technology company at the same time because we built a, a, a system that was very similar to um, like TradeStation. Uh, Realtik was a competitor at, at the point. And, and, and we, we ended up selling our technology to a, to a firm uh, called the Wise Trade Group uh, in Texas. And then I ended up, you know, being with them. Anyway, at that time, I was also trading a lot less, uh, a lot smaller account. But what I realized is to get back to where I was, I had to chip my way back and um, build up my account. And that's what I realized that every time I get in a drawdown period, which like I said, we all do, we have a series of bad trades or maybe a bad week, maybe a bad couple of trades, a couple of big trades, you know, back to back. You know, you have to take a step back and realize that you can't make that all back in one trade. And then you got to just chip it back because you, when you chip it back just a little bit by little bit, what you're actually doing is building your, um, your, 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 your the positive trading psychology back, you know, right. you're building that confidence back. And, and everybody goes through periods of a drawdown and as a trader, and everybody goes through a period where you feel very unconfident, that you feel lost that you don't feel like you know know what you're doing and how to handle the market and it's okay but you have to build so whenever you uh whenever you get into those types of situations you you bring you pair back your trading size and you you trade in a positive manner you make gains and you start off just by you know, building back your confidence. Yes. Yeah, so, so you think that perhaps um, looking at your gains that you're making today and not comparing them to the gains of the past would be a helpful thing because Absolutely. if you're doing comparison, it doesn't look like you're doing anything, but in reality, you're actually making forward progress. It, it, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, that, that's, that's a great point, Casey. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, I've, I've, I've had, I've never traded for a bank. Right. So I've never traded for a bank that there's several different ways to trade the markets, you know, as an individual investor, prop trader, which I've done. I've traded for, you know, individual investors like big investors. I've traded for myself, um, but I've never traded for a bank where the numbers are so big that it's like now it's just more of a zeros and numbers game. But I have traded prop trading, uh, prop traded for a, a, a marquee firm uh, for several years, just up until the last like two years. And uh, I was trading much bigger numbers and my swings were really big, like big to a point where it was hard for me to understand or to reconcile it on a daily basis because you start thinking in terms of like vehicles or cars or homes, you know, oh my gosh, I lost a home today. Oh my gosh, I you know, made a Lamborghini today. You know, it's when you start trading those types of numbers, you, you know, it messes with you. Uh, you know, where if you, if you, you know, pair the sizes back and like, if, you know, me trading for myself, I don't trade in that type of size anymore. So, um, I can't match that up to what I've done in the past because it just doesn't make sense. It's not where I'm at currently. Right. And, and that works really well in trading, at least for me is to not look at those things, but I've kind of learned that in, in other areas of life too. Like, just don't look at what the guy on Twitter's doing. 
you know, and try to compare yourself oh, because yeah. it really messes you up. You got to run your measuring stick against what you can do right now. Um, every single day, uh, you know, kind of have all, an accurate yeah. measurement. And we're all different, right? I mean, we all come from different backgrounds. Um, you know, how you were raised really plays a big part into how you deal with, uh, with, with, with where you're at currently. Um, look, I didn't come from a Wall Street background. You know, I, I have a lot of friends that trade big size and they couldn't even, I don't think they could do anything but. And yes, they started at Goldman. Yes, they started at, you know, Nomura Bank. Yes, they traded such big size there that, you know, for them, if they're not making, you know, 20 to 50 or swinging P&L wise, 20 to $50,000 a day in their, their P&L, then they're, what, what are they even doing here? Then you take somebody that comes from, let's say the Midwest that grew up in a, in a, in middle America and they're, they're, you know, they've got a, you know, $5,000 trading account. The way they approach the market is going to be completely different than that other guy that I was just uh, explaining. So you can't match yourself up against um, people like that. It's, it's not fair to you and yourself. Yeah. No, this is good. This is really good for people to hear. That's why I like this podcast because everybody is, uh, you know, nowadays they're coming into trading because they're looking at social media stuff and they see guys making tons of money and they, they just want to know about what's your winning rate and how much money can I make? They don't care about learning the process. They don't want to learn the art of trading. They just want to know those things. And if you go in with that kind of mindset, you're basically destined to fail right from the beginning. I, I think so too. And, and, and that's a problem. That is a, a great point you bring up. It is a problem with social media and, and how much of it is real. Uh, I'll give you a great example. I, um, there's a, there's a young man who, uh, was a friend, uh, well, our, my kid, my youngest kid and his father, we, my, well, let me, let me take a step back. The father and I, we were on the same teams as parents. Our kids played together sports and he was coached. I've coached. I've known this family for, you know, about a decade now. Well, their oldest son, he came and sat next to me um, uh, because he, I found out he was interested in currencies, but he learned, he was learning from people that he met on social media that drove Lamborghinis and, and, uh, and all this. And uh, I'm like, look, come sit next to me and sit in my office. And he, he was 18 years old, 17 years old in high school, about ready to get, go to Arizona State University. He sat with me a couple of times a week. He'd get up in the morning at four o'clock in the morning and be at my desk, sitting here learning from me and realizing like, hey, this is real work. You know, what you do is, I'm like, look, I've, I've made this and I've lost that. You know, at the end of the month, I just hope that, you know, the, the scales tipped over to the positive. And, you know, he'd look at my P&L statements. He'd look at my month. That was last month. That was the previous month. And he, he kind of got it. I'm like, look, there are traders that do that trade much bigger than me that trade at banks. And, you know, but the average person, you know, they, they, they're going to have ups and downs and you gotta, you gotta keep the numbers realistic based on how much money you have access to. That's really what it comes down to. Right. Yeah, no, that's really good. We got some great, great, uh, stuff for people to kind of process and hang on to. Uh, so this has been really helpful. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask about, you know, some of your methodology. You know, I know you've gone through a lot of different seasons, uh, and now you're, you've got a lot of experience and you're in a new season. 
Uh, how are you trading right now, and and what are you looking at in the markets on a daily basis? Well, um, uh, great question. Um, for, well, for me, now that I'm managing my own money, it, it, things are a lot easier and a lot more lax. Like I don't, I can sleep better at night because I don't worry a about the P and L swings aren't as big as when I was, you know, managing money. Um, but B, it's my own money, and I used to worry a lot about the money I was managing for the prop firm previously because I knew the gentleman, and even though they had a lot of money, and you know. To, what I did in all actuality probably didn't matter a whole lot. It's still, it's their money, you know, and I knew the guys. So that made it a little bit more difficult. So now, you know, managing my own money, I can widen up my stops a little bit. I know where my risk is. I know where I need to get out. I can sleep better. I know that volatility is high in the market, so I can allow for some wiggle uh, for the markets to eventually move in my favor as long as I've got a good um, backdrop. Because not only do I trade my own money, we also, you know, I have Forex analytics and we, 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 we manage a community of traders. And so because of that, I can't always be looking at the markets or looking at my positions like I am right now doing this podcast with you right now. I'm actually glancing and looking at my positions, but that's not always going to be the case. So, you know, it, for me, I, I tend to trade on more of a, excuse me, I tend to trade more of on a, a swing type of basis. Um, smaller position size, wider stops. And because we have the volatility to, to compensate for that type of activity in the summer months, I trade a little differently in the summer months, liquidity is poorer mostly. So the, 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 the trading ranges of any instrument you trade is going to be less. So I have to take a little bit bigger position and I have to actually attack it from more of a day trading type of uh, point of view. But it's, but it's it, it just depends on the market. The market really drives how I'm going to be trading. And right now, I like it the way it is because we got a lot of volatility. I mean, this is the highest volatility we've seen in currencies in years. I was trading uh, for that prop firm. I was trading when the Euro vol, uh, 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 vol was at five. It was so hard to make money when the market's not moving. But right now, vols are so high that it's 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 easier to swing around the markets now. So. Yeah, and with the currencies, uh, we're in a pretty interesting situation because of the massive trends that we've been experiencing. The dollar's been on a really strong tear for a while, and uh, it's if you're a trend trader, it's pretty straightforward, I would say, uh, in in trying to identify some of those things. It is, you know, the end of 2021. I promised all of our traders, I'm like, this 2022 and beyond is going to be so much, so much more volatile. And simply because interest rates and interest rate expectations are moving aggressively across the board in every central bank. And while that's happening, we're going to have massive amounts of volatility. You know, if you went back to the Forex analytics community in, uh, in, in, you know, 2016, 2017, I told them we're in for one hell of a ride because everybody's going to ZERP. And when everybody goes to ZERP and everybody, everybody, you know, brings every central bank brings their interest rates basically to zero or as close to zero as they possibly can. And we stayed there a lot longer than I thought we were going to. But when that happens, volatility drops to a point where it makes it very difficult for us to do business. But right now, you know, we have expectations that are moving so aggressively and they're going to continue to do that for probably years ahead that uh, we're in for a lot of volatility here, Casey. So if you're if you're trading currencies, you're in the right spot. Okay. So with that being said, you said that you're a swing trader, 
and there's a lot of volatility, but I think there's also a lot of event risk right now. There is. And so I want to know how you handle that on your trading plan because uh, if you're leaving a position open overnight and you're leveraged, even if you have a stop loss, if something happens, you know, like there's been several events in the last few years, like in a major event, uh, the price can go crazy and you couldn't see liquidations on your account. Um, and it, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. How do well, you, uh, how do you that, account for that? That's a, that's a great question. First, first and foremost. Um, and, and, and I always tell people, especially if you've been in the currency markets for a couple of decades, uh, you know, and I started really predominantly focusing on currencies in 2002. That's like when I really shifted from trading equities to currencies. And I've been, that's all I, I would say 95% of what I do is in futures and, and, and Forex now. Um, and, and I've, I've told people for, for, for many, many, many years, look, economic data is going to matter and it, it will matter, um, at different times. And right now, everybody's focused on inflation. I know this is going to be, this might not be the case. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, a couple of years from now, people aren't going to be focused on inflation, but right now in today's day, people care about inflation, inflation expectations. And that's not just, uh, you know, CPI, it's going to be producer prices, you know, PCE, we're looking at wages, but I, I, I could care less about the payroll number right now. I want to, I care more about what the wage data is showing us. You know, there's, there's certain things that I'm more cued into during that week or that period. And I don't care so much about retail sales right now, but I might this Friday because uh, I want to see how the retail, I want to see how the consumer is putting up with, with this higher inflation data. So, so yeah, it does, yeah, it's a tricky situation and you got to know what mat numbers matter during the specific time. Cause uh, you know, right now inflation matters, but if the raising rates causes some of these business revenues to drop, then uh, you're going to be looking at at profit margins is what's going to matter and job losses and things like that. Correct. And so let me, I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to give your, I'm going to give your, uh, your, your listeners something, a, a, a little bit of a strategy that I, I try to do um, every single week, every day. I figure out what the most important data is going to be for the week. So like um, uh, this week, tomorrow's inflation data is going to be really important. Uh, and, and again, this may not be relevant a year from now, two years from now, whenever you're listening to this interview, but I try to position myself ahead of that data based on what I think is going to happen. So if I think that the inflation data is actually going to come in light based on, you know, the last several weeks and I've, you know, maybe I was, you know, queuing in on the, what was happening with the PCE uh, last uh, couple of weeks ago. And then what, you know, inflation, you know, for this and price at the pump is starting to weaken a little bit. Maybe I think that the inflation print might come in a little light uh, come Thursday and everybody thinks that everybody that it's going to be strong. Well, I'm going to try to get myself positioned short dollars ahead of that event. Now, if I can get myself into that event already profitable ahead of that event, then I can move my stops up to break even when the news is released. So when that news is released, if I'm right, I'm going to be really right. And then I can add to my position and, and really, you know, expand on that profitable trade. And if I'm wrong, you know, hopefully I just don't you know, risk a whole lot because then I might get stopped out of break. So you go in smaller before the news announcement, try to get the position in ahead of time. That's pretty interesting. I do that that all the time time. and I have for years. That's all I, and so are you saying that you're looking for it in in inflation to, to be dropping a little bit tomorrow? Well, that's, that's going to be tricky. I'm, 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 I'm using that as an example, but you haven't made your decision yet. What's that? You you haven't, you haven't made your decision yet on on what you're going to do. That's when, if I'm, if I'm, 
kind of waffling on the idea or what I think is, if I'm not really too sure based on the research I've been doing, then I might come in extremely light or just might be flat all the way around. Yeah. But it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to look at anything till after the announcement. We'll see. And, and, and I'll take done. that approach from time to time. But what I really yeah. try to do, Casey, is I try to position myself ahead of a number ahead of time because you know, what yeah. we do in the markets we're, we're, we're playing chess, but we're playing chess against everybody and some of the best chess players in the world. And I, I don't have to think, I don't want to think one step ahead. I want to see, I want to think 15 steps ahead of everybody else. And so what I'm trying to do is put, put myself in a position where I'm already thinking, this is how the market is going to react when that data is weak and how I'm already going to be positioned and how I'm going to be adding to that as that, as that data is coming out. And I plan my trade well, well in advance. And that's something that I've done for many years. Yeah. And, and I think that is so good. Um, planning and just taking time, you know, trading doesn't have to be at, from the seat of your pants and it doesn't have to be fast. You know, they talk about FOMO. If you're taking your time and you're really thinking about your trade and you're planning it out, like you said, like a strategy, like a real strategy, uh, then that really sets you apart from, from most retail traders. So, you know, when I want to say about five, five, seven years ago, um, the market used to trade off data. Uh, I had a Bloomberg machine and, uh, I, you know, 2,800 bucks a month, every month, well spent because I could get that data release quicker than you'd find it on Twitter. You'd find it, you'd hear it on TV because by the time you heard it on TV, that person looked down at the Bloomberg release, then they spoke it, and I was already right. in or I was already out. So I was well ahead of everybody else. But because of the rise of algorithmic trading over the last decade or so, it's made almost trading news events obsolete. So the only way that I'm going to trade a news event is being already in a position, and I feel that the data was so strong or so weak, and it gives me such conviction that I want to go ahead and add to that already profitable trade. That's the only way I'm going to trade any type of economic data. So, um, and, and I have to take it every, every, uh, every news event separately because I also have to factor in what sentiment is and what positioning is at that moment in time. Yeah, that's really good. Well, Blake, we have, um, we've run out of time, <laughs> but I want to just say that, um, I really like what you're doing with, um, with not just with your trading, but with your education, uh, the, the companies you've built and, you know, Forex analytics, I've been following you and your company on Twitter. You guys put out great stuff. I really appreciate that. Uh, and so just good job. Keep up the good work. Um, and, uh, also you've got the trader summit which is amazing. So continue to do that. I mean, great job. Can you tell us a little bit about those things for everyone that's listening? Sure thing. Well, Trader Summit is is basically a site where we have a lot of contributors that you might read on, you know, CNBC, read on the Wall Street Journal. They they'll they'll provide us their content or we'll do interviews with them and but this this uh this month we have our fourth uh fourth event where we'll have uh, speakers like uh, Peter Schiff, Jim Bianco, Danielle DiMartino Booth, people that you watch on Fox Business or, or CNBC, and uh, we'll have them uh, in a live event October 21st to 23rd, and it's free to register. So make sure you go to traderssummit.net and register for that if you're catching this in time. And if not, just check out traderssummit.net. It's pretty cool. Forex Analytics is a company I started when um, when uh, MB Trading 
was sold to uh, to um, um, eventually to uh, Ally Financial, and I knew they were going to do away with their currency business. So I started Forex Analytics to have a safe place for uh, for our traders to land um, when that happened. And uh, we've since then developed into a, a really nice community. So if you ever want to check out what we do, um, you know, go to forexanalytics.com. Uh, Casey, I provided your your listeners a, a, a referral code or a referral code, not a referral code, a, a discount code called uh, Stubbs20 for you, Casey. Uh, that's uh, 20% off uh, um, any of any of our services that we have there, which is just basically a month-to-month uh, service. You can do annual or semi-annual subscriptions, but it's just a month-to-month and you make sure you download the mobile app so you have all the all of our analysis and alerts right to your uh, right to your mobile device yeah that's that's great and you guys provide really good analysis and um you know just you got a great team you've done a tremendous job there and so for everyone that's listening go check those out i'm gonna be signing up for the trader summit myself i'm gonna be paying attention i can't i'm gonna try my best to listen to them you know i got a lot going on but i'm definitely gonna try to listen to those so that's very good. But everyone that's listening should sign up. I'm going to. And go to ForexAnalytics.com. Check it out. If it looks interesting, there's that coupon code for 20% discount, Stubbs20. All of that will be in the description. Go check it out. Uh, and uh, Blake, thank you. Great stuff. My, you know, it's my pleasure, Casey. I'm glad we got an opportunity to sit down and uh, maybe maybe we'll sit down again and talk uh, talk some military uh, uh, stories sometime. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I would enjoy doing something again for sure. This is You provided a lot of value for the listeners and I really appreciate that and they're, they're very thankful as well. So thank you and uh, that's it for this episode of the How to Trade It podcast. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.